Good morning. My name is Anna Hill, and I'm part of the Elizabeth Community Group. Um, one announcement, if you are a teenager and want to help out with the uh, Children's Church, please head to the back uh, to help out. The word of the Lord from Judges 19, 1 through 17, and 20 through 30. In those days, when there was no king in Israel, a certain Levite was sojourning in the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim, who took to himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. And his concubine was unfaithful to him, and she went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah and was there for some four months. Then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back. He had with him his servant and a couple of donkeys, and she brought him into her father's house. And when the girl's father saw him, he came with joy to meet him. And his father-in-law, the girl's father, made him stay, and he remained with him three days. So they ate and drank and spent the night there. And on the fourth day they arose early in the morning, and he prepared to go. But the girl's father said to his son-in-law, Strengthen your heart with a morsel of bread, and after that you may go. So the two of them sat and ate and drank together. And the girl's father said to the man, Be pleased to spend the night, and let your heart be merry. And when the man rose up to go, his father-in-law pressed him, till he spent the night there again. And on the fifth day he rose early in the morning to depart. And the girl's father said, Strengthen your heart and wait until the day declines. So they ate, both of them. And when the man and his concubine and his servant rose up to depart, his father-in-law, the girl's father, said to him, Behold, the day draws to its close. Lodge here and let your heart be merry. And tomorrow you shall rise early in the morning for your journey and go home. But the man would not spend the night. He rose up and departed and arrived opposite Jebus, that is Jerusalem. And he had with him a couple of saddled donkeys, and his concubine was with him. When they were near Jebus, the day was nearly over. And the servant said to his master, Come now, let us turn aside to this city of the Jebusites and spend the night in it. And his master said to him, We will not turn aside into the city of foreigners who do not belong to the people of Israel but we will pass on to Gibeah. And he said to his young man, come and let us draw near to one of these places and spend the night at Gibeah or at Ramah. So they passed on and went their way. And the sun went down on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. And they turned aside there to go in and spend the night at Gibeah. And he went in and sat down in the open square of the city, for no one took them into his house to spend the night. And behold, an old man was coming from his work in the field at evening. The man was from the hill country of Ephraim, and he was sojourning in Gibeah. The men of the place were Benjaminites, and he lifted up his eyes and saw the traveler in the open square of the city. And the old man said, Where are you going, and where do you come from? And the old man said, Peace be to you. I will care for all your wants. Only do not spend the night in the square. So he brought him into his house and gave the donkeys feed. And they washed their feet and ate and drank. As they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, worthless fellows, surrounded the house, beating on the door. And they said to the old man, the master of the house, bring out the man who came into your house that we may know him. And the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said to them, no, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Since this man has come into my house, do not do this vile thing. Behold, here are my virgin daughter and his concubine. Let me bring them out now. Violate them and do with them what seems good to you. But against this man, do not do this outrageous thing. But the men would not listen. So the man seized his concubine and made her go out to them. And they knew her and abused her all night until the morning. And as the dawn began to break, they let her go. And as the morning appeared, the woman came and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was until it was light. And her master rose up in the morning, and when he opened the doors of the house and went out to go on his way, behold, there was his concubine lying at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. 
He said to her, get up, let us be going. But there was no answer. Then he put her on the donkey, and the man rose up and went away to his home. And when he entered his house, he took a knife, and taking hold of his concubine, he divided her limb by limb into twelve pieces and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. And all who saw it said, Such a thing has never happened or been seen from the day of the people of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, take counsel, and speak. Judges 21:25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church once again. And um, <clears throat> just last time I preached um, this sermon series, we looked at the same horrible story um, from the Bible. And we asked of the Bible... Um, in our, because this sermon series we're doing is, uh, I'm asking for a friend, and the question that we got was, um, why is there so much misogyny, or what appears to be unchecked misogyny in the Bible? Well, this um, passage is case in point in a number of ways. Um, apart from you see uh, people concubines and uh, potential polygamy, and there's some parts of the story in chapter 20. In 21, believe it or not, believe it or not, where things don't get much better. <laughs> and um, I didn't even get the 20 and 21, where they try to fix the problem, um, and they make it worse. Um, and let me let you know that as we go through these, I'm um, asking for a friend. This is to help um, us, and I say us because if you're part of Christ Central Church, um, one of our mission statement pieces is engaging the world with the renewed dignity that comes from Christ. The world wants to know by asking us, right? What's wrong with your Bible? Why is there so much misogyny in your Bible, Christian people? And what's funny is they're asking themselves not only of our Bible, but of their own world and lives. Does your Bible have a problem for misogyny in our, like, does it have a solution for the problem of misogyny in our world, in my life, in the things I've suffered potentially as a woman suffered? And does your Bible have an answer? Where it doesn't seem like it does because there's so much craziness that it appears God is justifying. This passage, and as I preach through it, um, in this, I, I was, you know, it's such a terrible passage, I mean, what, what's in here, that, um, you know, I wanted to be one and done. But, um, you know, last time I preached, it was so long and it was so in-depth, I decided to split it up into two sermons. So this is the second half of that. And I'm going a little deeper, so some things I may repeat again. But I, as I was going through it, I realized, wait a minute, I need to split it into three sermons. So there will be a third one um, so that I can't, you know, what's going on in our world, y'all? Like, we can't take this lightly. And if you are God's ambassadors, and you are, welcome, nice to see you, um, then as you go out in the world, you have to have a confidence that says God has sent the gospel, right? The message. He's given us the gospel. He's equipped us with, with, to, to, to address the issues and needs and offer comfort and healing, to this broken world, especially after a week like this week, right, with what's going on with the um, Kavanaugh um, situation, um, with the Supreme Court nomination, and all the just all kinds of stuff, y'all, Bill Cosby, right, um, these situations. And then as you see what goes on, I know some of us are looking at our own lives of stupid things we've done and said and remembering from high school or college, or even last week, stuff we did that was wrong. So let God minister to us. Um, and I thank, uh, again, Hillary Cyber for this painting. She did the other one we did last time I preached, and she did this one. I was uh, out last week um, doing a retreat for Clemson's uh, Campus Crusade. I still call it Crusade. They're going cool. They're crew now. Um, historically, I guess Crusade doesn't have the best connotation, but crew. Um, and uh, next week I'll be gone again, just so you know. So I'm splitting up part one, break, part two, well, two breaks because of the hurricane, 
part two, then a break, then part three. So um, just to help us out, let, let, me, let me give you a definition for misogyny. Misogyny is defined as a hatred, contempt for, prejudice against women or girls. Misogyny is manifest in numerous ways, including social exclusion, sex discrimination, hostility, androcentrism, uh, patriarchy, male privilege, belittling of women, violence against women, and sexual objectification. Now, as we discovered um, in the last sermon, that God never condoned. So if you want to go back and listen to that sermon, it's online. Um, as we discovered that God never condoned misogynistic encouraging practices like we see in the Bible polygamy concubinage, as I learned was a word, and treating women like property, leaving them devalued or easily violated and voiceless. Though practiced by the Jews in ancient Middle East, Eastern time, um, in God's eyes, those behaviors were always the result of a sinful and broken world. It was God's intention by showing it in the Bible, I believe, as we saw, happening among God's people, happening in their communities, to expose it for the brokenness it was. Well, I, again, I, I want to, uh, if you want to go back to the recording of the first one, I'm going to not put all the pieces in, and so I'm trying to pull the two sermons together. Um, and so I'm not going to go through all the disclaimers and all that stuff. But I want to give another shout out, shout out to Barbara Roberts, um, whom I sp heard speak on this same passage and kind of completely redid the hermeneutic, like the interpretive grid in my mind. Um, I met her at a domestic violence workshop some years ago, and she has a blog and a book out. And so if you want to hear the original teaching from her on this passage, you can look her up on YouTube. Uh, her name is Barbara Roberts. Um, I think she's a professor of ethics and Australia, but she, she just an incredible take on this story as far as domestic violence is concerned. But again, we follow up on part two, which is this. First, we saw that God wanted to deal with misogyny by exposing it in part one. Part two today is God is seeking to deal with misogyny in our church, in our world, in our lives by calling men to biblical manhood, right? Showing that we need manhood itself to be redeemed for misogyny to end. Now, part three, we'll be talking about uh, uh, biblical womanhood from this passage and our call as a church to be a place and a community that looks to bring revolutionary change in this area in the world. We'll look at that next week. This chapter, I can safely say, is primarily not about, about males. This story is about the overlooked mistreatment of the most vulnerable in a broken, far-from-God society, and in this case, this concubine. So not about males, but it is definitely written for the good of males. This passage is for males and those in power in any society to see themselves and see what it looks like and what happens when they are far from God and far from who God would want them to be. These are the results when people who are in certain positions are far from the Lord. Look how this passage starts, and we pointed this out last time um, in verse 1. It says, in those days when there was no king in Israel, when it says in those days there's no king in Israel, that means some bad stuff about to happen. A certain Levite was sojourning in the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim who took himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. And as we, again, as we pointed out last time, the way this Levite, a priest of God, is described, the Bible's telling us he is wandering. He is off track. He is a man like many of us, walking outside of his calling and purposes in a number of key ways. He is not where he should be geographically and spiritually and emotionally. And so for the passage to open up the way it does, it is like saying, it is like God is saying in Judges, the men were lost in what it meant to be men as far as their lives and treatment of the vulnerable. In this case, they're women and that they needed to join, right? This is a call for them to come in line with, to, to come and step with in their place in God's process of female dignity giving, keeping 
and restoring. To take their place in God's process of female dignity giving, keeping, and restoring. Yes, that's right. The Bible teaches from the very, very beginning that we males should be a part of God's plan and process of bringing God's dignity to and for women. I saw a guy the other day, uh, Friday night, when we were at a restaurant uh, hanging out with a friend of ours, and he had a shirt on and it said feminist on it, right? And I, you know, okay, I'm not trying to all deal with the feminist. Don't jump on me about that. But I'm just saying... It made sense, right? The Bible is saying men should be feminist in the sense that they are about the glory and dignity of biblical womanhood as God has described it. We should be about that. Okay, so I'm going to bring some other scriptures in real, real quick. Hang in there. When Jesus was challenged about these very laws of polygamy and divorce that Moses gave the people, because the people of God were marrying everybody and doing all kind of stuff, and so Moses came and says, if you're going to have a bunch of wives and you're going to do this kind of thing, here are the rules if you're going to do it so that it doesn't go crazy, right? But what Jesus said, it, 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 he said he, that Moses let them and us know that that. Sorry, Jesus let them and us know that concubinage and polygamy was never intended by God. And Jesus said this to prove his point. It was not so in the beginning. Right? So let's go back to the beginning that Jesus was talking about. Before women were mistreated. Back when God made the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, in Genesis chapter 1 it says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Now here, carefully now, next scripture here, next verse. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Y'all heard that? They were equal recipients and both had the glory of being created in God's image. Not a question. But look at the more intimate details about how this image was distributed and confirmed by God between them. The details matter, right? So if we look at the next group of scriptures, it says this. Then the Lord God said, this is Adam after he's naming animals and all that. It is not good that the man should be alone. It says, I will make a helper fit for him. The man gave names to all the livestock and to all the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. The Bible tells us, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon a man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Hear this carefully. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Right. Y'all hear that stuff? Okay. Let me break it down quick. Manhood. Biblical manhood. From Adam, remember Jesus says it wasn't so in the beginning? So we look at the beginning, right? Biblical manhood from the beginning, as we see it here, is about proactively putting yourself and being put in position by God in various ways. And I'm stretching this out, but yeah, I'm a husband right now. Whether as a brother or a father or uncle or friend or husband, but any position, y'all, to speak like Adam did to Eve. To give, to convey, to wrap with some knowledge, if you will. Dignity from God, right? Dignity God had already put in her. Dignity God had for her through a man's position, wherever and however that was, to her and for her from God through him, right? It is like taking who God made him and gave him and channeling it from God, his worth, his dignity, his worth, to promote and encourage who God had already made her. 
to declare to himself and the world and to her, you have equal dignity and beauty with me. And you have peculiar dignity and beauty that God has given you. You're not like the animals. Remember, he had just finished naming the animals, right? You're not like the animals. You're not like any item. You're, you're not any uh, thing I have dominion over in the same, like, you're not an object. You're not a plant. You're not an animal. You're not a thing. You are human. He was an amplifier and communicator of her worth among the world, right? You stand out. Now, this is what it means to be in basic community, period, male to male, female to female, but we see more distinctly what it means to be a man. And more intimately, a husband here, okay? I'm not going to take that away. But being a man is not getting a honey, right? It's not getting you some or having her complete you. We talked about the complete you fallacy. I'm half. I need you to be that other half. No. It's not what Adam said. Or to make you feel like a man. Or having some eye candy on your arm. Or for her to perform for you or be a trophy in some way to show off with the fellas. To, to be a concubine. But if and when. Hear me, guys. If and when you are put between a woman and her God, right? If God puts you as a man in front of a woman or in her life or between a woman and this world in some way or you decide you want to be with her and you insert yourself or find yourself there, you are now inserted not just in her life as a natural brother or uncle or father or husband or boyfriend or son, but you are now under a divine contract, right? You have put yourself between God and her, God's dignity for her and her, like Adam did, and we see this Levi doing. I think it's real interesting that the man in our passage today is a priest. And a priest does. He puts himself between God and the people. Taking on the cause of the people before God, while at the same time communicating God's grace from, them, from God to them. So as a man in relational position with a woman, in some way you are now in the process, y'all. You, you, you're saying, I'm a part of God's process and, and value that he already has given for her life, for the glory, glory God wants to give her, and not for me. Back to our story. So when that Levite took on that woman as his even undervalued wife, even a concubine had a contract of some sort. He had a responsibility to then give his life over to making sure she continued and gets and grows in value and God's glory as the one given and submitted and made vulnerable to him. fact that he had to initially go to her dad and work it out. When he went back four months later, he had to go back to her father's home, right? He didn't just say, hey, girl, let's work it out, right? Come on out. Let's, hey, let's, I'm sorry, baby. <laughs> Whatever happened, you know my interpretation of the adulterous piece. If you reread it, reread it in some text, it says that she disrespected or despised him. And as we look at the story in this man's ways, I would guess that she had a reason for despising him and leaving him and going back home. Okay, that's my take on it. He was like, hey, baby, I'm, you know them soul saying, songs, I'm, I'm, I'm better now, baby, right? The Bible says she saw him and took her into her father's house. He had to work it out. The contract between her and her father for her. Okay, where am I going with this? Let's look at this. The fact that he had to go back means he could only take her and treat her according to the father's rule. Even for a concubine. 
for the women in this room, ultimately, whether their earthly fathers were ever in their lives or they had somebody, hey, I, need, I want your daughter's hand in marriage, all that kind of chivalrous, whatever you want to call it stuff. They all have the heavenly father as their creator. And he is between them and you as they all bear the image and likeness of God. So listen here, partner, right? If you and I as men decide to insert ourselves and draw ourselves into contact or contract with women, it is an automatic call to, to participate according to their father's decided process of glory and dignity and price and worth to work for God for her good. Can't get into it all. But it meant he, this Levite, should have been and stayed, hear this, and been prepared to be in position to do good for her in all the ways she ended up being neglected and mistreated in this story, right? He wasn't ready. He couldn't fulfill the contract. It should have meant not ever letting her be devalued. Because look at what Scripture says in the beginning. Men were the ones who gave value to the women around them, right? Or shamed or blamed. He should have never doubted her value and how she was pursued and related to. It meant not taking her or caring or pushing her like he did in that village into dangerous spaces and places emotionally and physically. Like the Levite taking her to that village and not saying to the old man, forget your idea of offering up our woman. No way. We will die first. We will die to our self-preserving ways first. It may mean looking out for her when she is hurting and violated and not moving on like the Levite tried to do the next morning. Like trying to walk out on our mistakes and, and complicated mess and violation of her and her issues, but, but being held up a little bit. This is about digging into pain and injustice. It means, you know, not making it the woman's fault or using her like the Levite did and, and cutting her up and destroying her image so easily to save and secure and fill himself. It means being a voice and cause, which means being in a position like a real priest who hears and listens, and then conveys the father's worth and dignity back to her. Holding her up, not as a destroyed and easily segmented object of male pleasure, but holding her up, declaring justice and equality, and one made in the image and likeness of God. But here's the problem like we saw from this passage last time. Because of sin, brokenness, we're empty in so many ways. We are not enough. We're wanting. We are not like the original Adam, right? Literally Hebrew, the man, right? We are not the man. Adam was the man. We are because of sin and brokenness. We are distant from God and lost in many ways. What sin and this broken world have left of manhood. Look again at verses 1 through 3 with me. In those days when there was no king in Israel, a certain Levite was sojourning in the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim who, who took to himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. And his concubine was unfaithful to him, and she went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah and was there for some four months. Then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back. He had with him his servant and a couple of donkeys, and she brought him into her father's house. And when the girl's father saw him, he came with joy to meet him. Now, we talked about concubinage. Gosh, I don't even know if I'm saying that word right. That's just the way it's spelled, right? Not being God's good for a woman and how it was a slave wife, a cheap wife, a cheapening wife or woman. For easy disposable needs, we talked about whether sexual or surrogate to give a child or just to cook the way you like or to show off or whatever. But this story about polygamy and, 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 and being a concubine is God saying, in this society, there was not only a lot of poverty, war, and greed that led to the vulnerable being mistreated like this. 
but a lot of broken men. The Bible is saying the Levite was cheap. He was cheap. He was cheating her. The two donkeys that he brought and a servant shows that he may have had the ability to pay a bride's price, maybe, and make her a free wife instead of a slave wife and value her more, but he has chosen not to do it. Like after four months, I want you to be my real woman, right? No, he wants to keep her on the cheap, right? Which points to something beyond his economic ability to provide for this woman. but it points to his emotional and spiritual poverty in being able to show value to this woman. And his cheap handling of her was about how poor he was, not in his bank account, but in his soul. Right? How far from God's good he was in his soul, trying to get something for nothing because he was not much of a human being himself. And that led to mistreatment, not only of her, not only by him, but contributed to a world where that became okay all around. I told you last time that I go with the interpretation again that she was adulterous because she did something. He did something. That's coming after four months with a donkey and a servant. No intention of truly making him a bride of high value. This was a show. He spoke kindly with her because he wanted her back. That's it. He didn't want to put himself in contract position in God's way. He just wanted her back to do what he wanted to do. Some of you brothers are smooth talking. That ain't chivalry. I call it bull chivalry, right? That's <laughs> what it is. Hey, girl, I got my stuff together now. I got a good job. Brother, you one-third there. We can see your bank account at Bank of America but emotionally and spiritually, you bankrupt, bro. We just want to fix it. I'm one of them, y'all. I'm married. I've been married 21 years. I still ain't learned. I think I could just cover it real quick. She's more valuable than that. I, I just want a quick fix. Come, come, come. We, we good. We good. Yeah. Hey, baby. Mm, kissing. She hates that stuff. <laughs> no, she doesn't hate the kisses. She wants me to be a better kisser. I've been working on it. <laughs> but but you, you, you know what I'm saying. It, 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 it's, the, it's the, I know I'm so wrong. I know emotionally I'm not there. I know I haven't really listened. You didn't really listen to me. Oh, man, when a woman says, you didn't really listen to me, man, I'm like 15 feet deep with no oxygen. Like, <laughs> you didn't listen to me. I just want to get to the top. <laughs> and then you try to guess, yes, I did, because you said this, this, this. Nope. You heard me, but you didn't listen. Ah! We just want a quick fix. Don't we? A priest listens and is able to properly communicate what's going on and hear it and then communicate goodness. He, 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 he just wanted a fix. So, so how long can he actually hold the illusion is what he's thinking. But he was still not willing, again, let me move, move quicker, um, to give these two donkeys or money to the dad to make her a free bride. And then the way she was treated reveals how much he undervalued her. But think about it. When we talked about the call of men to pour their glory, their worth into women, right, it revealed just how poorly he thought of himself. 
how empty and emotionally, spiritually bankrupt he and other men around him were before and without the Lord. But God is seeking to redeem manhood in a misogynistic world. Is not only seeking to call men to join in this process of female dignity, but join in God's process of restoring male dignity. It is easy to miss the father in the story because I think, you know, it seems like he makes a mistake here and let this man go. The Bible tells us, and I'm not, I can't read the whole thing, but you, you heard it. He, he tells us that he welcomes the man with joy, but it doesn't seem like he welcomes him in order to take his daughter away again. Stay one more night. Stay warm. Stay longer. Don't leave. Don't go. Right? What is going on? He's stalling him. Either because the Levite has disgraced his daughter in some way, or he intends to take her away, and maybe because he thinks he's adulterous and she's going to get stoned and killed for it. Or he's trying to finally get her value up, right? To get this priest to give more, a free wife, a high bride price, so the father can get better securities and glory for the value of his daughter and his glory as her father. But do you see that he stoles him? But how? I love what the scripture says here. Let your heart be made merry. Let me encourage you here as I give you food, as I leave you. Let, let's sit around and talk. And, and let, let me, hey, hey, stay one more night. I, I got some more food for you. Like, and it kept saying, he, stay that your heart may be strengthened, that, that you would be encouraged is what the scripture is saying. The father is giving his glory and his worth and his wealth and relationship to the Levi so, Levi, so that he will in turn possibly value his daughter. I love that it says father-in-law, son-in-law. Like this is a relationship. This is a contract. He has to listen. The, the, you know, it, the Levi is valued and filled and loved in relationship with the father himself as he stays and spends time and close to the father himself. The father knows that an empty, unvalued, unfilled, unengaged, wandering, and lonely man will mean a man who will not be able to enter God's relational calling and being in relation with his daughter and not see how much the father values her, albeit she's a concubine, that without being engaged by him, the chances are slim that he'll be able to treat his daughter well and right because he's so empty in his heart. Notice I realized as I was listening, saying even in the sermon, that the father knows how crazy this world is. Man, I, I don't know. I don't, did I, did I got time? Okay, maybe a little bit. I was going to have to deal with it. It's just kind of a hard sermon to preach. You know, I, I was at the, um, some restaurant. It was so hard. I failed. I failed because the world's so hard. I didn't have enough in here. I didn't have enough courage in here to stand up, right? One time I did when those dudes were looking at you at Burger King, remember? <laughs> I always tell that story because the one story I did, Tom, I did right. These dudes, Kelly walked by and they turned around whoop, like that. And I was like, what y'all looking at? <laughs> I felt good. I remember that story. But the second story, a few weeks ago, I messed up. Because this lady was in there, and she, you know, she had some revealing clothing, okay? It ain't about her. Did you hear me? It ain't about her, okay? She could walk up naked, and we still have to show dignity, right? We don't have the right, okay? okay so we're not going there. But the dude behind the cash register looks at me like, yeah, and I don't say anything. See, here's the deal. The father knows that this world is going to make demands. If you don't have it here, you're not going to be able to stand. A book that I have in the office, and I give the people a lot, um, Russell Willingham's book, Breaking Free, is about men being freed from sexual um, bondage in his various misogynistic forms. Uh, pornography and affairs and all kind of things. He has a diagram where there's an outline of a father. I wish I had it. I called him. We talked, and I couldn't get the diagram. But um, there's a diagram. which There's an outline of a father and son standing side by side, and you see their hearts, right? 
And the father's heart is half full, like one-third full. And he's got his son. And you see them supposedly relating. And he can only fill his son's heart as much as his is. Next picture. Son's got a woman. Son's heart's one-third full. Except he's not pouring the contents of his heart into her. He's hoping that she can fill him. In those situations, women always pay the price. The Levite is wandering and empty and uncaring and unable to take his place in God's process of dignity. But look what happens here. And this is what the dad was saying and what I'm talking about when the world comes to many. Look at verse 22 with me. Um, As they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, worthless fellows, surrounded the house, beating on the door. And they said to the old man, the master of the house, bring the man who came in your house that we may know him. And the man, the master of the house, I'm talking fast, went out to them and said to them, no, my brothers, do not act so wickedly since this man has come into my house. Do not do this vile thing. Behold, here are my virgin daughter and his concubine. Let me bring them out now. Violate them and do with what it seems good for you to do. But against this man, do not do this outrageous, outrageous thing. The men wouldn't listen. And they gave, him, gave them the concubine. Did you ever notice something? I, I just thought about this. The crazy, dude, crazy dudes, sexual dudes outside the door, they don't want the woman. They want the man. Here's the issue. When men's sense of worth and manhood are called upon by the world, maybe it's stress at the door. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's your sexual disappointment. Maybe it's your vocational failure. Maybe it's a number of things. But when this broken world comes knocking and demanding of our manhood to answer, Sometimes we are too empty to have a response. And so we turn to our women to answer the call. To answer and blame for this. To pray the, pay the price for our personal insecurities and lack of male value. We make them have to fill us and be there for us and answer the door and be put in vulnerable and dangerous positions to be consumed and destroyed and violated because we can't answer life or, or ourselves and others with the value and courage of biblical manhood that only comes from a relationship with the Father. Let me tell you the bad news of the gospel. God's message of the Bible to follow humanity, none of us is born valuing who we are like we should or being emotionally cared for like we should. Some of us were just run roughshod over another empty man. A father that just beat the heck out of you, some of you, only liked it when you did well. Or a mom or dad who just ignored you because something or someone else is more important than it should have been. Or someone who devalued, violated, or, or took your voice away, who stole away your glory. And now you don't have what it takes to not violate or devalue or take the voice of the women in your world. It's almost like what drove women into being concubines, undervalued women, wasn't that she was not valuable. But because men can't emotionally and spiritually afford that kind of relationship that the Bible calls them to. Look, in this case, in this application, the God, the Bible is saying. Misogyny is redeemed as manhood is redeemed. And that happens when, like the father in the story, takes us in and for the first time in our lives pours his glory into our hearts. When we can stop guessing what love feels like because we just guessing. We write some terrible songs because we guessing. We can stop guessing what value looks like and glory is all about. And let the Father, let someone like God through Jesus Christ be our daddy. 
so we can experience the worth and value to treat ourselves and our systems with glory and in the process of God's glory for them. God is calling men into the house, into redeeming discipleship and relationships like our men's Bible studies and community groups and worship to be free to own up to our spiritual and emotional and sexual poverty and be spoken to and seen and known and brought in and loved and fed and filled to rest in the Father himself. And only then must we, must we, and will we be a place of God's hospitality and right complement and servant for the flourishing of our sisters and our mothers. Think about that story, you know. God has called men in particular like in that village, to be the doorkeepers of that safe place. To either be ravaged yourself, but to hold the standard to be there so that those who have come in are safe and secure. I thought about it. Some of you dudes are incredible at finances. Men, some of y'all know your sports facts, Right? If I play you in fantasy football, Josiah, you beat me right now? Just kidding. Um, some of these dudes in here in our fantasy league, they good, y'all. They know everybody, right? I don't know everybody, not in, not in pro, okay? I know college a little bit because Clemson's incredible. But I... <laughs> orange shirt in the back, Doug. Um, we went to Clemson together. But, um, like, think how much of an expert you are on things that you value. How much you know about your woman? How much you know about women? I've been married 21 years. I, I'm just learning some stuff. Yeah, learning some stuff, because it's been about me. I just heard the other day, uh, so, someone's mom or grandmother or something died, and I was just looking at it, and. There was a medical report that women present differently when they have heart failure. What? And so a lot of women die of heart attacks because medicine hasn't done enough to figure out how a woman's body works. That's a failure of manhood. Let me close with this. We are not another nonprofit organization. Because I want you to know there's a great scandal in this story. And it's so messed up, it is hard to see where Jesus is outside of the Father in the story. But there is a great scandal. And guess what? It is the justification and getting off of the priest at the woman's expense. So I warn you here. And God does this a lot. And it doesn't feel good all the time. But he always lets the most broken and vulnerable in the story play the role of Jesus the Redeemer. And be the one where the power is, which in this case is the concubine. You know what the gospel teaches? That like the concubine in the story, Jesus was given to us by the Father to be our scapegoat to be abused, to be devalued, to be physically defaced by our male immaturity, apathy, violence, and emptiness when it comes to women so that we could see our sin and know that it would only be through him and his power to rise from the grave and thus prove that he could defeat all of that in us that you and I could ever be forgiven, that we could ever be healed of all that we've done, that we finally could be filled with the love and compassion of the Father. And finally, a compliment to God's love for women. It's time to repent, guys. Jesus is saying, turn to me. You don't have to treat your sisters like this. They don't have to be neglected. I already was. They don't have to be devalued. I already was. 
It's a long walk, y'all. When I did this, when I started putting this sermon together, I, I, I thought about quitting. I mean, I seriously was like, I'm done. I'm just not there. I'm with y'all. I need Jesus to work in me. And I think at this church, we have various ways for that to happen. But we have to believe that it's going to take the Father filling us. And that only comes if you have a relationship with the Son. I'm telling you right now, our boys, I had two boys, I'm, I'm done. It's hard because I'm their father. And I got some bad stories. I got some things in my life. Them seeing me repent and seek God's wholeness and fullness. Not necessarily escape all the consequences and brokenness of it. Will speak like come in voice. This world is going to tear you a new one. They're going to recommend, right? Like in that village, they're going to recommend, give us the women, right? Give us something. All right, if you're the man, you don't want to come out and be a man, at least let the women get it. I think this church has an opportunity because of what God's shown us. And we do have men's Bible study right now. I think our last men's retreat where we talked about this issue was revolutionary. And let me let you know, the stuff I put in this sermon, I'm done. I'm just testifying. The stuff I put in this sermon, thank you, Kelly. Right? Thank you, women shepherds. Thank you, women that have talked to me, confronted me, made me own up to things. This is a message from the body of Christ, of which I only use my mouth to give. So I appreciate the way God has worked in your lives out there. And I pray that you would be able to take that to the world that we go to this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Help us to be biblically complementarian for the good of the women in our lives, for us men. Help us to turn back to the Father's house, to the place where hearts can be filled again, where we can repent, where we can rest, where we don't have to rush. Help us not to rush this, Lord. Help us not to try to cheat it and, and, cheat it and fix it real quick. Help us to go to the deep places. Our society is slipping, and nobody has an answer why we should do this or why we should treat women with dignity, Lord. But the scripture does because they're made the image and likeness of God. It also doesn't give us hope outside of us just trying to get ourselves together, and that doesn't work. Holy Spirit of God, go beyond our natural relationships with our fathers and be a supernatural father to us. Fill us with new worth, new dignity, and new hope, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.